0: Welcome to Pod Me If You Can, I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today we are talking about Tony Scott, his uh, films, his life, and basically a retrospective on the man and his impact on Hollywood and mainstream film today. Lloyd, how were you influenced by uh, Tony Scott?
1: I loved uh, Tony Scott films. He was a younger brother of Ridley Scott and uh, Ridley Scott, uh, both of them of course from England, Ridley Scott started making commercials. Um, and then Tony Scott, I think he graduated from art school and wasn't sure where to go, and his older brother Ridley was saying you should come and make commercials, so he went over and started making commercials. And what they did, they were the first ones to really do this, was to come to emerge from the commercial, you know, world. And they perfected that visual style, like you know they only got thirty seconds to a minute to make a commercial, um, whether it be for Pepsi or Ferrari or what have you. So it's these breathtaking, high-budget commercials, and they just really work that well. Like you, a Tony, uh, even Ridley Scott is very similar to Tony Scott, although you know they're arguably very different filmmakers. But that style um, has been, you know, very, you know, similar, I guess, when they um, burst into the Hollywood scene um they were coming with massive you know um resumes you know uh, um tony scott's first major film was top gun and if you look at that film every uh, every um shot in it looks like a pepsi commercial and he even yes. said yeah we just got that down we just completely mastered that technique and if you notice and he even comments this on his audio commentaries particularly um I think it was Revenge, he says, yeah, it's um, I use a lot of smoke, probably a bit too much in my right. films, and I do think, uh, I do remember a lot of people um, commenting on that or parroting that, like, they, you know, it's particularly in Blade Run, although that's directed by Ridley Scott, there's just smoke everywhere and heavy backlighting and everything like that, but yeah. their influence on visual literature in video games, maybe even comic books, especially television, is paramount, like, absolute um what they brought um to uh, movies was the commercial world i, I don't want to say, like our generation saw um david fincher oh well really tony scott's our generation but um david fincher what what he's where he was from was the music video world so he brought the the visual style of music videos to film um, and definitely Tony Scott and Ridley Scott were the ones really responsible for bringing commercials the visuals of commercials to film and I think both those brothers um, they're towers in um a hollywood cinema absolute towers with ridley scott making blade runner and gladiator and so forth and tony scott you know really a very big force in the 90s and well into the do i say the <laughs> Yeah, um, i think that's what they're calling it i guess they call it the noughties you know a big powerhouse into the noughties but mainly his main era was the 80s and 90s in particular top gun beverly hills cop and then of course into the 90s hitting um with last boy scout and uh enemy of the state which um, we'll get into
0: in a way the um the first films i found by tony scott were very kind of um by the numbers almost yeah i think think he evolves
1: most of his career (laughs) like uh, if you look at ridley he really did take um i don't know a more artistic i don't want to use artistic but you know he did it was a very different sort of path although ridley scott's films are hollywood movies they've they're not as by the numbers as tony scott's
0: they're science fiction which makes them seem more unique yeah absolutely but i mean tony scott had to do films well he didn't have to but he did do films set in reality and he made films that were realistic yeah um so they were they were action films, really. I mean that was his strength.
1: Yes, no definitely. Um, Top Gun itself, it's interesting with Top Gun. I think that was his first collaboration with Jerry Bruckheimer. I could be wrong. And Don
0: Simpson, I believe so.
1: Yeah. Um, what happened with that was um, the, how they used music as well. Like, prior to that, it might have been Flashdance a little bit before that, which I think is another Jerry Bruckheimer film. But what happened was when m- people walked out of the cinema of Top Gun and Flashdance, you know, those Jerry Bruckheimer productions, um, uh, the music um, soundtrack sold astronomical. Like, so, and then the template began make sure when you make a movie, um jam-packed with heaps of pop hits like you know um the famous scene in top gun is oh i can't remember the song like danger zone is obviously one of them um take my breath away is Is that one yeah yeah um those were massive hits and largely responsible for pushing that success was top gun you know um uh, so that template was carried well into the 90s with uh, uh, even now um really um you know, and that that was one of the first films responsible for that—the Jerry Bruckheimer and Tony Scott relationship. So that's pretty interesting.
0: <laughs> Did you like What's Top good? Gun? Yeah, well, Top Gun's really cheesy in retrospect, isn't it? I mean, when you look. I at loved
1: it, it when I was young.
0: <laughs> just to finish your thought, um, Top Top Gun won one Academy Award, and it was for best music original oh, song. Best, oh, best original score, sure. And yep. it was for a t- original song for "Take My Breath Away." Oh, which, that was made for Top Gun but yeah it proves your point doesn't it
1: <laughs> oh right okay I didn't know I thought that was a just a big hit okay <laughs> like a pop song
0: one of the things I love about Tony Scott films uh, it's one of the same things I love about Robert Rodriguez films is that they're financially successful mm. yes. and that like Top Gun we we'll use using as, exa- as an example made for 15 million and made over 350 million which wow. is wow ridiculous for you know 1986 I yep. believe yeah 86 and probably made half a million kids join the military, didn't it?
1: Yes, absolutely. It was one of the best commercials for the Air Force, for the American Air Force, um, for a long time, for maybe 20 years even, you know. And as you,
0: as, as you say, he's really good at making commercials, so...
1: Yeah, no, and, and you look at that. If you take a few frames from Top Gun and edit it into a Pepsi ad, you know, with all good-looking people like Val <laughs> Kilmer back in the day, Tom Cruise back in the day, the most beautiful women i guess we're casting that film just from memory and then these you know airplanes flying off in the sunset and everything and him turning around giving the 80s thumbs up you know what i mean like that looks like a, a pepsi commercial and it looks yeah. stunning it looks like a beautiful looking film
0: and i mean the dialogue is so memorable you know your <laughs> ego's writing checks your body can't cash and the feel the need the need for speed yeah <laughs> a lot of people
1: um uh, I guess, say, yeah, as you say, it's very cheesy, but a lot of people put um the quality of Tony Scott down. Like, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, Tony Scott's the lesser of Ridley Scott. M- maybe that's true, but nevertheless, it takes a lot of skill to produce a Top Gun or a Beverly Hills Cop 2 or anything like that because they weave all those elements, like the visuals and the audio, and then they know how to control it. And to make a commercial success isn't easy. You know, people all say, oh, it's just marketing. You know, get a big, massive beautiful-looking movie and then just market the hell out of it and you'll make a lot of money. I don't believe that's
0: true at all. It'd be difficult to continuously pull off successes like and that's, that. that's a really successes. good point.
1: He's done it consistently as well. You know, all throughout yeah. his career he's been making hits.
0: I think uh, True Romance will get to it, but that was the only one that didn't make back its budget, I think.
1: Right, and that was a great film.
0: <laughs> the thing about Top Gun, the highest-grossing film one of the highest grossing films of 1986 wow. surely yes um you know was that it basically made tom cruise even more famous i mean Risky yes. business was before that um made val kilmer a star possibly yes i'm, I'm not yep. sure what he'd done before that no definitely. I, mean, has- I
1: think he went into willow after that um and he just didn't fall like i think he wanted that superhero stardom but he just never really got it did he
0: yeah um I guess not. It also it had Tim Robbins in it with Hardly in it. He's in it at the end with um, Tom Cruise's character. They're both in the same, you know, um, plane doing just ridiculous. Though he's hardly in it. It's so funny to see Tim Robbins in such a small role now. Oh my
1: gosh, I could barely remember Tim Robbins even did. It. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's not memorable, I guess. But the point is, uh, Top Gun is such an iconic film, and it's got so many things spoofing it you know how Mm. i met your mother they've got um, scenes hot shots exactly um you know lots and lots of things have had people say you can be my wingman anytime you know definitely um just such an iconic film that perhaps he peaked at his career right there oh you reckon uh uh, tony scott or um
1: uh, tom cruise
0: probably not tom cruise he (laughs) made so many more films I'm, i'm saying in terms of making an iconic film sure i don't think tony scott ever got back to that top gun level
1: i'd have to agree with you yep absolutely i i i'm looking at his filmography right now and i can't think of anything that like although there were great and big epic films they were never as big as top gun because as is it, it top gun as you said was so influential it was embedded in um you know just cultural talk you know as you say wingman and we got the need for speed you know that just became part of common um language didn't it <laughs> especially and, I mean- in the western world
0: yeah, Need for Speed's probably the most famous thing that's come out of it. Oh, yeah. And Wingman. Besides- <laughs> yeah, true, true. Um, but the funny thing is I watched this with my wife and um, there just weren't that many things that happened. Most of the plot takes... She'd never seen it. Most of the um, the film takes place at sort of a school level where they're doing training exercises and stuff. Yep. and And so it's before they're ever in battle. And then at the end, when they do have some battle... The only person they can send in is Maverick, which is a bit ridiculous. There's no need for backup. I think Oliver
1: Stone, um, (laughs) because he made uh, Born on the Fourth of July with uh, Tom Cruise right afterwards, I think he really didn't like Top Gun. Because I think he said Sonic at the end, well, did everyone forget he just started World War Three at the end of that movie? And I think, yeah. yeah, because they shoot down a couple of Russian planes and, you yeah. know, and then they all celebrate at the end and that's where the movie ends. But if you think about it, if Russian planes just got shot down and this is when you know, the USSR was just towards its end, you know, that's pretty much World War Three, like an act of war
0: yeah it ends at the right time then i guess
1: (laughs) (laughs) did you like that scene it's it's been done heaps and i I know it's been played in pubs a lot and everyone enacts the scene where he comes into the um i think it's the canteen and he starts singing that love song to try to woo
0: the girl it's funny yeah it's like uh one of those things that people go and try after they've seen the film exactly
1: it's it's i think it's great
0: It's funny how everyone knows the words and everybody um, sings along too, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. On the strength of Top Gun, um, Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer hired Tony Scott to direct uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2 in 1987.
1: Beverly Hills Cop 1 is probably one of the greatest buddy films, greatest action films of all time in my opinion. I think... Um, uh Eddie Murphy was just at the at the top of his game throughout the eighties. And I loved um Billy Hills Cop 2 when I was young. I struggle to watch it now because it's such a by the numbers, you know, movie. It and seems it, that way, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. It's it, it's a good looking movie. It's a very typical Tony Scott with lots of smoke and Eddie Murphy never looks so good, you know, <laughs> when he enters a room and you know, and, and I love it how um he's he's done a lot of these, a lot of cop films and you you go into the uh, police officers um uh, office rooms and it's just jam-packed with paperwork and people you know um cops holding prostitutes in the background and all criminals and them arguing with each other like the the frame is so packed full of life i, I love that look and it's always smoky there's never-ending smoke just flooding the room i think it's <laughs> beautiful yeah
0: <laughs> it makes me think of uh those tv shows with cops you know that um you're always watching late at night like miami vice and stuff sure
1: but just with a bigger budget and a lot more people yeah definitely definitely and and yeah the police its like their technology has never been is is not quite good enough you know what i mean they don't have the up-to-date technology they're still using the typewriters and the you know they're struggling to keep to contain this chaos so to speak
0: yeah well police can only do so much i suppose they need an axel foley on the side (laughs) um one of the things i wanted to pick out i know it's a a great film to showcase eddie murphy and he's a huge actor and a comedic star um at this point in time 1987 you know he's got the raw and delirious dvds out and um you know he he this this film like so many Tony Scott films they appeal to men don't they yes
1: no they're definitely definitely right yeah they're guy and, films um,
0: exactly they're real guy films that, that are being made one of the things I want to talk about there's a scene in it where they go to like a playboy um, mansion type party mm-hmm. um, Hugh and Hefner's Hugh Hefner's mansion Hugh yeah. Hefner has a cameo in the film <laughs> And to his credit, Tony Scott got a decent performance out of um, Hugh Hefner. Yeah. (laughs) The thing I just wanted to mention was there's a film called The House Bunny with uh, Anna Faris. And Hugh Hefner's in that as well. It's obviously about a bunny from the Playboy Mansion Mm -hmm. played by Anna Faris. And uh, Hugh Hefner is just the worst actor. I've tweeted this before, but he's just the worst actor in that film. It <laughs> just delivers every line so badly.
1: Yeah, he's just like the icon, I guess. They bring in, look, that's actually Hugh Hefner. And that brings
0: that in... That really is Hugh him, <laughs> yeah, Stingbox. exactly. But, I mean, it's a long time ago, 1987, yeah. in terms <laughs> of uh, his performance. So, um, One more thing. One of the um, things that Tony Scott did a lot was have a cheesy freeze frame ending. oh i never noticed
1: that yeah that's right a lot of them do have the ending like they smile towards the camera or give the thumbs up
0: (laughs) and that's exactly what axel foley does at the end of beverly hills cop (laughs) 2 anyway there were these things that just these token things that happened in a lot of his films that i just want to touch on too
1: yeah um have you seen revenge i I have seen revenge um i got the dvd uh re edition of it i guess it's digitally remastered and everything and it's actually presented by quentin tarantino like there's a big um uh blurb at the back tarantino's favorite tony scott film or something like that um at the end of it and it didn't make it wasn't a big hit from what i understand like i didn't even hear of it like my dad had seen it and he goes oh yeah i've seen that that's actually a pretty good film but i'd never really heard of it um and it's A film that I think didn't do too well and it's off the back of Kevin Costner's huge success with Dances with Wolves and Kevin Costner was a huge um, star in the early 90s you know Um, and it stars the beautiful Madeline Stowe like back in the day she was one of the most beautiful women on the planet in my opinion Last of the Mohicans and um, Blink I think it was called and of course this film Um, it is a very beautiful movie and a very very ugly story like it is Dark, like they slash up Madeline Stowe's face, um, you know, brutal brutally. Um, it's all set in Mexico, which is a theme that Tony Scott is a place that Tony Scott keeps going back to in a lot of his later movies, especially. Um, I guess he just, I think he says in his audio commentary, he absolutely loves Mexico, which is funny because Mexico is always depicted as a very dangerous place in a lot of his later films, yes, yes, um, which we'll get to. Um <laughs> But, yeah, Revenge is a very ugly movie. Like, you get to the end of it, and my friend um, who we've had on the podcast, Grant Hawkins, said, it just leaves a very bad taste in your mouth, and that is so true. Like, it's as the as the title says, it's all about revenge. Um, uh, Kevin Costner falls in love with a gangster's wife, and they have an affair, and the gangster has revenge on them, but slashes up Madeline Stowe's face and puts her in a brothel. Like, the, mm-hmm. the worst kind of punishment ever. And then... Um, uh, Kevin is left for dead, but somehow he survives and comes back for revenge. Um, yeah. I, I I love the film. I thought it was very good. Like it fell apart in a couple of places towards the end. Um, it just got a bit weird towards the end, but it's very good. I highly recommend it, especially if you like the if you just want to see a beautiful looking movie. Again, that Pepsi like um, image that we're talking about the Pepsi Cola commercial. I think that's actually what Tony Scott describes it. The Pepsi generation commercials style (laughs) um yeah check out revenge it's a beautiful looking movie
0: it's interesting that the uh, budget was 20 million this was one of the few films that didn't make its money back it yeah really that's right i think all the 15. producers
1: went yeah we got a massive hit on our hands tony scott kevin cosner madeline stowe we got this action sort of story and you know they spared no expense you watch that movie and you think wow this looks amazing but i could see why it wasn't a big hit because it's just such a dark movie <laughs>
0: yeah would you say you did you see the director's cut or the yes, theatrical definitely it, um the whole box is like
1: the unrated director's cut edition okay. or whatever and it's digitally remastered you can get it on amazon.com revenge um you'll have to get the region one i don't think they
0: released in region four or two or anything mm-hmm. like that the director's cuts 20 minutes shorter too oh, so it's i wonder shorter? If, oh damn it yeah i wonder <laughs> if that um helped <laughs> make it more tolerable i don't know Well, anyway, after Revenge, he went back to working with Tom Cruise again in Days of Thunder. Oh, that was an epic hit, wasn't it? Well, I mean, I'll just pull it up for you, but I mean, it's the first sort of Daytona movie I'm familiar with.
1: Yeah, like, I, I didn't see it till much later, till my early 20s, so I missed the boat when it was a massive hit. I do know it was used over and over again for commercials and what have you, like... You know Daytona and um sorry, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, and that's the movie I think where they first met. Is that right?
0: It might have been Far and Away. I think it was Far and Away. You're right. I'm not sure which came first, to be honest. Um, it it did make a bunch of money. 60 million budget, 160 almost. Wow. Return. Another huge success. It looks good. The
1: film. It's just a really. (laughs) stupid movie
0: I I found that too a little bit yeah like like um, how they have that
1: whole race in the city it was just an excuse to show off like incredible stunts and special effects
0: yeah there's no um you know police presence there at all
1: I think this is the movie that because Michael Bay is obviously heavily influenced by Tony Scott I think anyway and I think this is the film that Michael Bay studied over and over again
0: (laughs) (laughs) well one thing about days of thunder is the story is by tom cruise which immediately tells you something doesn't it (laughs) but it has a a, a phenomenal cast i mean you've got robert duvall randy quaid even you know john c Riley before talladega nights you get him in days of thunder as like a pit guy
1: (laughs) i never i never thought
0: of that that's right he is in it isn't he (laughs) <laughs> What's interesting about this is like Daytona, right? I don't know if you ever watch it. Oh, it's um,
1: yeah. I've I've seen um I've seen a bit of it. Is that the same as NASCAR? It, it is NASCAR, isn't it?
0: Uh, must be similar. Yeah, I, I think don't that's know the, the most
1: watched... it's the biggest spectator sport in America, which surprises me because it's not big here in Australia, definitely. And it's
0: oh maybe maybe it's a NASCAR film, but Daytona is the race. Sure, I'm, I'm thinking that's the case. Sure. Anyway, um, the funny thing is like. Like they say in Talladega Nights, all you got to do is turn left over and over again because it's just a big, like, donut circle kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. and, and you wouldn't think that a film like that could be interesting or make action happen from that, you know. In terms of when you watch highlights of a race, they always show the winner and the crashes, yes, you know? Absolutely. So, then you had to stick in a bunch of crashes in this film because you never see any highlights from daytona except crashes
1: (laughs) yeah that's part of the big formula isn't it just uh you know huge special effects and stunts and a massive crash and you got a big hit but yeah you're absolutely right (laughs) did did you like um did you like the film
0: uh what days of thunder Yeah,
1: days of thunder
0: Oh, I had some problems with it. Yeah, <laughs> I had heaps of issues with it. Like, uh, it
1: looked good. Take nothing away from the visuals. Um, It looked great, sounded great. Everyone looked
0: fantastic. It's just The a, script was the problem, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, was it was just so
1: stupid. It was just, like, poor excuses for action. I I, I remember the big chase sequence. They get in their cars and they drive around the city, and it was just one of the dumbest things. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm remembering it right. There's a big chase
0: they, sequence. They rent. They have, they're forced to go to dinner together uh, to prove they're on the same sort of team. And uh, they, they rent some cars and then drive them through the city, crashing them horribly, and then leave them in valet parking afterwards when they get to their dinner kind of thing. But it's just such a, an excuse for a, a bunch of action. Right. I mean, everything is a race. They race... <laughs> they have a crash in this film where Rowdy, um, played by Michael Rooker... Yep. Uh, who The rivalry with him dominates the first half of the movie... And it's him against Tom Cruise's character, Cole Trickle, who has zero driving experience whatsoever. Yep. He learned it all from ESPN coverage. He doesn't know anything about cars at all. And he's really like an unlikely winner, which is why at thirty-five, thirty-seven minutes into the film, they have a massive crash and both of them go to hospital, which is where we're introduced to Nicole Kidman. The thing is that when they're in hospital, they're basically racing their wheelchairs and stuff as well. It's like the <laughs> rivalry you know it's sort of continuing I don't know Um, one of the huge problems I have with this film is when he's back in the race again Carrie Ewells who famously plays he's in Saw and he's also um, the man in black in The Princess Bride the Rob Reiner film uh, which I think is probably going to be his best role but anyway (laughs) Uh, he is driving the car for Tom Cruise and uh, basically you know there's a lot of sort of playful nudging and stuff of the cars and Tom Cruise, after the race, slams his car into Hules after he sort of cuts him off. A a massive, you know, you should be banned for life after doing that kind of thing. Yeah, It's ridiculous. Like, he almost kills both of them kind of thing. I don't know. That, there's a line in the film. Claire is the character played by um, Nicole Kidman, and she says, You're selfish, crazy, and scared. And that right there, that sums up his character. Like... He's very selfish and he's just reckless. It's, and a, it's pretty much
1: Talladega Nights,
0: isn't it? But a lot less funny and a lot <laughs> No,
1: no, sorry, I mean the structure of the story, it's it's Talladega Talladega Nights is a parody pretty much on Days of Thunder,
0: yeah. Seems to be, yeah. Yeah,
1: okay, sure. Now yeah, okay, yep.
0: <laughs> and then Michael Rooker, um, who won't ever race again, asks Tom Cruise or probably won't race again, asks Tom Cruise to drive his car to take care of his family by helping him win. Which is silly because Tom Cruise should be banned for life. He shouldn't be able to drive another car yeah. under an alias or anything, you know. And then, of course, this film has a couple of Tony Scott touches. There's the cheesy freeze frame ending oh. where he and Robert Duvall are both running and there's it's a really bad freeze frame. Like Tom <laughs> Cruise's face is his face is all mushed up in the air kind of thing. He doesn't run well, Tom Cruise. <laughs> Anyway, not in the early films. He probably got better. He runs in a lot of movies. I
1: might have to watch this movie again. I, I remember <laughs> liking the look of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But the thing about this film, the the thing Tony Scott, I think, has done right is he's made NASCAR seem more interesting than it is, mm. you know, rather than just turning left over and over in a circle. Yeah, I'm sure you know, there's a
1: lot to it, but, yeah, it appears to me as they're just turning left in a circle, and I find it <laughs>
0: very hard to watch. And um, the other thing is the this film it reminds me as well of the ones he does later with trains he's got taking of pelham one two three and unstoppable yep trains are on a track they're either on the track or they're not on the track it seems like that wouldn't be too interesting either and he makes it look
1: so exciting
0: (laughs) he does he does which we'll talk about later as well Mm -hmm. so another one of the things that i've noticed about reviewing or while we've been reviewing all these tony scott movies is that he uses silhouettes a lot in the early films Mm -hmm. um often during these sort of physical uh sex scenes things like that um tom cruise and nicole kidman they have this scene where they're in bed together and stuff and when they're doing the physical there's these really strong silhouettes and this seems to feature again in true romance and others when they have sort of um the chemistry on screen he's just sort of dropped the lighting right down and made this sort of bare minimum you know look yes um which uh, i wanted to just talk about later on as well yeah no
1: definitely um yeah he explored there's so much variety in that style but still it looks incredible you know (laughs) that the, the silhouette i think i think i'm
0: remembering it right yeah um all right we'll move on to the last boy scout 1991 so again this one was written by somebody famous shane black of Lethal Weapon fame. Yeah, it's, seems, it's a film
1: noir but done in a massive Hollywood style. Yeah, and it's definitely got touches of Lethal Weapon all throughout it. Um it's a Bruce Willis engine sort of diehard movie. Like I I guess it follows that um I guess that scale. Where a lot of people die hard, you know, excuse the pun, and it's just a lot of action, a lot of violence, but it is essentially a film noir. And you can, it's interesting with this film. If anyone's going to study Tony Scott's work, you can see Tony Scott t- pay a lot of um, homage to the film noirs of the 40s, like with the blinds and the lights um, streaming through the, you know, the interiors, and especially again, sorry to bring it up again, but the smoke. It's just, uh, you know, a very dark sort of looking movie, despite being in color. Um, but it's it's a great action movie. You know, it's a mm-hmm. very very um very very solid um action movie. Um, it's got one of the most frightening scenes I think I've ever seen, where they're all playing this football game. It opens with this football game. Hard, of course. It, of course, the football game is raining, and one of the football players um takes out his gun and starts shooting the other players and gets the ball and goes over the line. You know, and it's just a horrible horrible scene um, it just really scared me <laughs> I remember seeing that mm. when I was really young but it, I, I really liked the movie it's a great Bruce Willis action movie if anyone's curious and wants to go back on um, Bruce Willis's line of work that's one of his best films I think and one of, be- uh, one of Tony Scott's best films
0: and also I mean the producing team like of uh, Joel Silver yep. you know he later went on to produce the Matrix films and I think he was um, also involved in Lethal Weapon as we've said sure Yeah, and uh, again, this is um, Tony Scott finding a script or maybe not finding it, maybe they're being handed to him or they were. Uh, Shane Black wrote The Last Boy Scout. Tarantino wrote True Romance, you know. Um, Just interesting how he's got these sort of... um, This eye for it. Yeah, like he's chosen these up-and-comers as well. I mean, he sticks like Brad Pitt in um, True Romance and, you know, sort of finds people who well Halle Berry was wasn't she in um, Beverly Hills Cop 2 I can't remember if she was I don't remember it at all I vaguely remember that she was okay. um but you know he seems to have an eye for you know stars I guess yes Let's no I absolutely
1: agree whoever was his casting agent or if he had um full c- control of that um he's yeah they've definitely got the eye for that talent
0: let's jump into uh true romance yeah that was
1: written by um quentin tarantino and i think tarantino that was one of the two or three scripts he sold when tarantino was really um desperate for money one of them being from dust till dawn the other one being natural born killers and this one of course being true romance um and yeah um, tony scott directed this and made it into, you know it's a typical tarantino sort of movie like a bonnie and clyde so kind of like natural born killers going through Mm -hmm. a gangster world and it um all diverges on this big shootout towards the end it's a great piece of writing um how all the stories collide into that one ending where they have that big you know the climax pretty much um i love this movie i thought it was fantastic
0: it's interesting too that i mean much like reservoir dogs has a big sort of shootout ending Quentin Tarantino's sort of going with a bit of a formula there. But this one is the most autobiographical script he's ever done, I think. Sure. You know, he's working in a comic book store instead of a video store. He's got an imaginary friend, Elvis, played by Val Kilmer. You know, that's sort of crazy interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and all these Sonny Chiba references, you know, <laughs> going to the movies with him. He's just a lonely guy, you know? Yes, definitely. Samuel Jackson's in one scene. And he gets shot. Yeah, he gets
1: shot. <laughs> uh brad pitt um and then you've got the great um uh gary oldman was in it yeah uh, it's a fantastic uh yeah and a whole bunch of others it's a fantastically star-ridden populated movie <laughs> go check it out um especially if you're a big fan of quentin tarantino um and want to see you know he didn't direct this understand it's his script but um, it's fantastic, and it looked fantastic as well. They couldn't have gotten a better director other than, of course, Quentin Tarantino himself to make this movie.
0: The one scene I vividly remember from this like that stays with me is that scene where Gary Oldman is sitting across the table from Christian Slater and he's swinging the light. There's a low-hanging yeah. sort of light lampshade, and it's creating this awesome kind of lighting effect that's um really well done I think.
1: Yeah, that was cool. And I love the scene with Christopher Walken.
0: Yeah. And, with, and Torturing Dennis Hopper. Dennis oh Hopper. my
1: gosh, that was so cool how those two just had the, you know, a little banter back and forth before um Christopher Walken shoots him, spoilers. <laughs> um that was fantastic.
0: Christopher Walken must really enjoy Tarantino writing big speeches for him. You know, he's got that gold pocket watch speech as well. Yes,
1: in uh, Pulp Fiction. <laughs>
0: yes so i mean it's just another great little speech for him in this one absolutely um one other touch is the silhouette love scene with christian slater and patricia arquette um same sort of thing um as you know top gun and all these others You get these silhouette um love scenes It's just another sort of tony scott early touch yes Um, Do you want to tell us about Crimson Tide? Oh,
1: yeah, Crimson Tide's a submarine movie with Denzel Washington. I think this was their first collaboration together. I haven't seen The Hunger, but, um, yeah, this is going to be the beginning of a long-term, you know, De Niro-Scorsese relationship um, into film, but... Um, it stars Gene Hackman and, of course, Denzel Washington, all set in a submarine. And basically it starts off with a blurb, like a bit of titles at the beginning, going the three most powerful people on Earth, the president of the United States, the president of Russia, and the Commander, chief commander of a nuclear submarine boat, because they pretty much have control of life and death over so many countries and nations. And they basically it's sort kind of like Dr. Strangelove, uh, where you got this super powerful weapon um, out there, and by orders, by a simple message from the head, um, whether it be from the president of the United States or the you know president of Russia, saying you know launch your missiles, and that's basically going to start the end of the world sort of thing. Um, And then this story is about, you know, uh, they get the um, message to send the missiles to start attacking, but then they get another message that's been cut off, so they're not sure if it was a cancellation or to go ahead. And Gene Hackman says, no, we have to go ahead and fire. And it's sort of almost like a claustrophobic movie, like they're trapped in this confined space, and it's almost like this... You know, strange hierarchies going on. Um, what's going to happen? It's a thrilling movie, really thrilling, and brings raises a lot of questions and points and things like that. Of course, good prevails. Denzel Washington's on the side of good. He says, "No, we have to confirm if we were to launch missiles; otherwise, we're starting World War 3 And you know that sort of thing. Whereas Doctor Strangelove by Kubrick ends in the more darker way, where the you know they they ignore all orders and drop the bomb on Russia, and that's the start of World War Three sort of thing. <laughs> have you mm-hmm. seen Doctor Strangelove? yeah 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 so it's a similar uh very pretty much the exact same story except set in a submarine and it rather than the guys carrying out their orders like good soldiers um crimson tide was all about uh, always question authority and which is it was a strange theme in american um films they always have this thing where you got to question the authority um you know what I mean like they can't always be right which is very strange because I always picture the American armed forces as the best soldiers they follow orders no matter what yet their popular culture is always about questioning um, the hierarchies questioning the orders you know Um, and
0: just like in Battleship
1: just like in Battleship and just like in Crimson Tide um, right away um, the the um, ideologies of Gene Hackman um, and the ideologies of denzel washington just clash and it's an interesting movie
0: very good <laughs> one of the huge things about crimson tide is that um it started the collaboration between tony scott and denzel washington mm-hmm. which as you know went on to be a huge collaboration just most of tony scott's later films all, were all featured um denzel washington
1: i think except exactly. for deja oh i sorry domino <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I'll get to Domino. That's one of his more stylish films. Mm. Um, True Romance was the film that didn't make the money back. They had a $13 million budget, made $12.2 so... Oh,
1: right. So he fell into sort of like um, revenge, I guess, which is, I guess, a similar sort of style, the film noir sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and just to catch up, um, Crimson Tide, $53 million budget, made over $150 million. Yeah, yep. And then that leads us into The Fan with De Niro. I mean, it would have been amazing to work with De Niro. Yeah. But uh, this was the biggest flop that uh, Tony Scott had, I believe. And stars 55 Wesley
1: and uh, Bobby De Niro?
0: Yep, and Benicio Del Toro and in there as well. Going,
1: that's right, he's in it, yeah.
0: Yeah, $55 million budget, $18 million return. Wow. This
1: film is dark not as dark as revenge but it is a very dark looking movie like the best way i describe it it's always seems like the sun is setting and it's always red like i'm thinking of the movie now and that's all i can think of is just this red world like the sun is always setting and it's constantly that twilight no that very red twilight look um it's it's really interesting how it's um portrayed visually it's very similar to Seven in a way, where Seven was constantly dark and constantly raining, and that's the environment. You can every time you think of the movie Seven, you just can think of that awful city, um, and the constant rain. And when you think of um, uh, the fan, it's just this really black movie, and it's a very dark theme. It's not a, you know, you take your family to the movies and watch. So I could see how it <laughs> flopped. And it wasn't a great movie at all, but it's it's I, I didn't mind it too much.
0: Uh, I haven't actually seen the fan, so, you know, I'm not sure whether or not I should take a recommendation on this. Yeah,
1: it's good to see Bobby De Niro, though, as a crazy fan.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so do you think I should see the fan? Yeah, I I
1: reckon check it out for... um for Robert De Niro's performance and in particular just the visual style of it. I, I think um, that's, that's one of the main things with all of Tony Scott's films is just the look of it. Um, I think all commercial producers and directors should watch his movies and study his images over and over again. I think they're absolute, absolutely stunning.
0: You know, when I looked at the case for that film, I guess because I know Bobby De Niro is a big star, I guess I thought De Niro was the good guy... Oh, based on the cover that's a fair um, point yeah yeah and just i wonder if it would have been a better film if de niro was this aging star and snipes was the you know crazy fan <laughs> would that have made it worse or i don't know I, de think, Niro's I think i playing the
1: antagonist suits robert de niro more but um just like uh i guess um uh fear cape fear um <laughs> or something like that but yeah you're right it would have been interesting if they'd reversed the roles.
0: I'm going to ask you, uh, Lloyd, what is your favourite Tony Scott film?
1: Uh, it's Enemy of the State.
0: Eni- Which is ironically the next one. <laughs> I think
1: Oliver Stone just put it on Facebook Oliver Stone's now on Facebook by the way and Twitter, oh how exciting um, <laughs> and he said uh, the best Tony Scott film was uh, Enemy of the State and that's funny enough my one as well, I love Enemy of the State um, It's I don't think it was Will Smith's first major role after Fresh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air it might have been like during um, the season but I, I don't think it was his first one but I thought Will Smith did a fantastic oh. job
0: I'm pretty sure he would have done Independence Day at that time. Yes, you're absolutely
1: right. That came out in ninety six. so it would have been Independence Day. Um, Enemy of the State was, like Oliver Stone said, well ahead of its time. Um, It really... Like, uh, what's happening recently, I don't know if you heard, but a few whistleblowers have come forth saying that the government in America are building this... In in some, like, almost Area 51-like place, they're building this place with massive hard drives, and they can keep records of everything online from phone calls to web browsing to downloads for the next 300 400 years um yeah so it's this really big brother thing that's happening in america and people argue they they've been doing it for a long time anyway but it's just like wow you know and if you watch um enemy of the state um it is a very frightening film um how much the government uh, you know it really brings that question of um invasion of privacy um and how much is it uh, d- does the government have right to you know it's understandable the government has to protect the the lives of so many people but its methods are questionable whether they're allowed to invade your home and spy on you and that sort of thing um it's a film well before its time isn't it really yes exactly but the thing i like most about this and like I say about The Rock, if anyone has seen The Conversation by Francis Ford Coppola, it's one of the best films Francis Ford Coppola ever did. It was right after Godfather 2 with Gene Hackman. It wasn't a big hit, but it's gone down as one of Francis Ford Coppola's best movies. An original screenplay, and Gene the Hackman Rock, plays. Did you say?
0: Sorry the rock did you say oh
1: and the rock um yeah i'll get to the rock but um in particular the conversation in the mid-70s by francis ford coppola and now the film film the
0: conversation sorry Sorry, the film titled The Conversation.
1: The, yeah, the film is titled The Conversation. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, you're yeah, right. I
0: thought you would... T- yeah, that was tough to catch, sorry.
1: <laughs> you're right. Um, and Gene Hackman plays one of the elite buggers, um, I guess you can say, wh- where they um, embed a microphone in your room and he can hear every conversation you say. And he's one of the best ever at doing this. And the film ends... sorry for spoilers, but go check out this movie if you haven't seen it, especially if you're a Godfather fan. The film ends um, with him realising somebody's been listening to whatever he's been saying, and he thought no one could ever bug him. He's the best in the world at this. And so the film ends with him tearing apart his whole apartment, and he can't find the microphone, and the film just ends. What they, what Tony Scott did was cast Gene Hackman in a very similar role. And if you watch this movie, although the names are very different, it's not the same character, and they make that clear, but the dress code the way the character acts is as if what has happened to this character since the end of the conversation so the film in a sense is like a sequel to that character if you watch enemy of the state thinking gene hackman is playing the same character as he played in the conversation it is brilliant and that's why i say the rock is a very good film if you watch the rock with the idea that um sean connery is james bond incarcerated in alcatraz um one of like (laughs) he really tried to bring down America, James Bond, like the British sent him in there. And if you watch that film thinking Sean Connery is James Bond, and they make that clear he's not James Bond, he's just an elite British spy. But if you watch that movie with that idea, it is an amazing movie. Same thing with, um, Enemy of the State. Another thing with Enemy of the State is how well populated the movie is. It has Jack Black as just one of the, um, as one of the seconds, it has Seth Green, and all the um the like um basically, the bad guys are split in three. You got the top government guys played by John Voigt and a second actor. I think he's a big star himself now. Um, John Voigt is like the head. He's um operating the the bad guys, mainly. He works for the big government. And then you have the like the army guys. um I, I don't know any of the character's name, but,
0: Barry Pepper's in it as well. Yeah, Is that I, mean? I
1: think one of them's him. He was in Saving Private Ryan. He played the sniper.
0: Yeah, Barry Pepper. Okay,
1: yeah, sure. He's one of the main... You've got phys- Scott Kahn, Jake Busey. Yep, Jake Busey. He's one of the main... Jason arms. Lee's yep. in it. And then you have the um, nerdy guys who operate the machines, the computers, and you have th- that's played by Seth Green and Jack Black and
0: so forth. Now, every... Jamie Kennedy's in there. Yes. Gabriel Byrne. I'm just looking at a cast list. Gabriel Byrne,
1: yeah, yeah, he's in there for a bit. But... Oh my gosh, each of those faces, um, although they're briefly um, um, shot, like they're not, they don't have their whole backstory told, they're just given brief scenes for them to say their lines, but it feels like they've had a whole backstory, it feels like, wow, they've been doing this for a long time, and it, it, like, um... I don't know, just the world just seems so well cast and so well populated. When you see them controlling the instruments and making phone calls, it is just so believable. And it's uh, every time I watch that movie, it just fascinates me how that government structure works. You know, it's a, an amazing movie. And there's a great every chase sequence is so well handled how they're, how he's running, how Will Smith has to run through this thing and it's like born identity where you got this one guy trying to beat out this invincible government and he's always outwitting it it is so fun you know born identity obviously borrowed a lot from um enemy of the state especially with how it's shot and how they're trying to communicate through cell phones he's going through three he's going through four you know what i mean they're trying to hunt him down and will smith is always just one step ahead or or Sonic like that, you know, he just manages to break through. It's it's an amazing chase sequence. It's so exciting. And just like True Romance, it converges on that one climax at the end where it's a big shootout. And this time, I really liked it. I think the critics were really unfair with this film because when this film came out, the critics said, oh, it's just a typical action movie. It's really boring. And I'm like, are you mad? This film is one of the
0: best. <laughs> um, action films directed by tony scott often end in a shootout you've got um besides true romance and this one there's also um beverly hills cop 2 the end of that one's a big shootout
1: absolutely
0: (laughs) well enemy of the state made made 250 million dollars and uh was made for 90 million so another huge financial success which is really the thing that impresses me most about tony scott's career is these hits and how consistently he can do it exactly um, but it leads leads nicely into my favourite Tony Scott film, which is Spy Game 2001.
1: That's with Robert Redford and... Um, Brad Pitt as well. Brad
0: Pitt, wow, cool. <laughs> Brad Pitt's often been compared to a young Robert Redford, and this is like a really smart political spy thriller, you know? Um, just an awesome script, incredibly memorable, I think, um, and really well sort of shot. It gives this idea that anybody with the right training from robert redford's character can become this kind of uh really observant amazing spy and you know you can walk into a room and you can scan the entire room for exits threats you know um and these little covert missions that they do it's all very very fascinating and most of it takes place in flashbacks yep. brad pitt's character's in trouble at the beginning of the film and robert redford's character is about to retire and he really only has the last day at the cia before um he can no longer influence things anymore and um brad Pitt's, you know history basically is going to be executed and it's this kind of character that robert redford has that i love where he can sort of notice things and then say hey what about this or whatever and it seems like he has more information than he does and yet he holds so many cards close to his chest it's like there's two tv shows at the moment one is called psych and one is the mentalist and both of them are about really observant people who have no special ability they're just very observant and um i think robert redford really nails that kind of quality in this film and again really tense thriller from tony scott really well shot really just solid piece of uh film if you ask me
1: one of the key lines isn't it isn't isn't it like he goes no all you need is a a stick of chewing gum and a pocket knife
0: yeah. Yeah, I
1: love that. That's fantastic. Cuz we're so it, much we're so born into a James Bond type world where you've got this ridiculously good-looking, well-talk, well-spoken um Englishman who's armed to the max, you know. And that's the spy world to us, but spy game was almost I don't want to say realistic. It could be completely fictional, but it just seemed to be more, you know, less <laughs> <laughs> it seemed to be more less if, if that makes <laughs> sense
0: <laughs> less um gadgety
1: yes exactly and it's more about as you say wit uh wits and uh, being observant and using your mind it's like a chess game the whole thing
0: exactly that's very much what it's like um but that's my favorite uh, i I've I've gotta
1: check that movie out again
0: definitely definitely should um let's talk man on fire again denzel well, i again. want to talk
1: about beat the devil before we get to this i don't know if you've seen it but bmw made a uh, interesting ad campaign where they gave um to a handful of directors ang lee um who's the director of uh, snatch again uh, uh guy ritchie guy ritchie um and uh david fincher was one of them and uh of course tony scott was one of them and bmw had gave him huge budgets to make like a short film and tony scott's one was interesting it was set in las vegas james brown and um and every short film has i don't know if you've seen any of these every short film has um clive owen in them clive owen's the guy he spot um in sin city isn't
0: he yep yep you've shown (laughs) me one of these i have i have heard of them Yes, um, Clive
1: Owen is the main character. He plays the driver in each of these, and Clive Owen is carrying James Brown with him, and they go up to this hotel room, and they're greeted by Gary Oldman, who is literally the devil. And it's interesting how the devil's portrayed, and like literally the devil, Satan himself. And James Brown says, "I can't do the splits no more," and it's implied that James Brown sold his soul to the devil to be funky or whatever. <laughs> and the devil's like, "Oh yeah, um, look, um." Yeah, look, that's a once-off thing. I get your soul now. And then um, James Brown wages him in a drag race between his driver, um, Clive Owen, and the devil. And the devil's like, you got to be kidding me. I'm going to beat you. So they have this massive drag race out in the desert in, um, in Las Vegas. And I think, yeah, of course, Clive Owen wins and the devil loses. So James Brown becomes young again and he can do mm-hmm. the splits. Um, so it's a very cool short film. I think it's the best one out of all those short films that was made. Um, by far, but the style of that, now that's directed by Tony Scott, it had subtitles, the editing was something I've never seen before, like, Tony Scott, like, I argued with Michael Mann, with The Insider, after The Insider, Michael Mann completely changed his visual style and everything, um the, the i think um beat the devil the short film was to tony scott tony scott experimented heavily with that film and that became his visual style for the remainder of his life from man on fire all the way to unstoppable um you got to check it out it has all these freeze frames has subtitles it has um wicked camera movements and the colors just seem so much more vibrant i don't know if you noticed, his colors just seem to pop out a lot more um mm. Yeah, go check it out. I beat the devil. I'm pretty sure it's all on YouTube. And if you watch Man on Fire, it has a lot of that as well. Start, again, um, collaborating with Denzel Washington. It has a lot of that. It has subtitles. It has, you know, um, uh, I think explosions happen and they go and rewind and fast forward and so forth. It's, it's yep. pretty cool.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that rewind and fast forward stuff, again, is really well utilized in like Deja Vu. Yes. Um, which is later on.
1: Yeah, but But Beat the Devil, I think that's where he changed his visual style for the remainder of his life. Did you like Man on Fire?
0: oh look i saw it at the cinema um and i remember thinking oh that was pretty straightforward kind of action movie you i know. thought it was
1: too long it was it felt like three and a half hours 146 <laughs> minutes Yeah. oh it was, my god it was ages yeah it was but- a cool idea it's just a simple revenge story like this yep. girl gets kidnapped and he just gets a back from these worst gangsters and it should have been like taken taken yep. in my opinion is one of the best action films of the last decade um and but man on fire seems to stretch out it just goes on and on i'm just like oh where are we
0: now <laughs> but everybody wanted to see it i mean it was made for 70 million and it made 130 million so i mean it wow. was hugely successful again yeah i don't know and it featured australian actress uh, rada mitchell as the mother so oh, okay sure that was another good reason to check it out but man on fire as you say it should have been a very straightforward action film
1: yeah instead it, it's just I don't want to say it's crowded, but
0: it's just long. They just feels like it should have been cut down a little.
1: Yeah, maybe I I I want to say it. It it should have been eighty minutes long. (laughs) You know, it should have been eighty minutes, but it's just so huge. Again, um, Tony Scott employs all his great qualities, like the visuals and everything like that. So again, anything with Tony Scott's films, they all look amazing. So it's you know.
0: Well, I, th- I think from Enemy of the State, he gets really frantic with his camera work. Yes, Obviously, there's absolutely. a paranoia and stuff there. Um, that sort of follows into Man on Fire. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Domino, which is the next one i are going to talk about. I think this might be the, the most style-heavy film that he has ever made.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And this one's written by um, Richard Kelly of Donnie Darko fame.
1: Oh, cool, okay.
0: And again, based on a real person this time, um, the first sort of tony scott film i think that's really based on like a living person who she was alive domino harvey uh while they were making the film he spent weeks and stuff with her um interviewing her and um she died of a drug overdose before the film was released oh my gosh yeah and have you seen domino
1: i have seen domino i remember i wasn't a big fan of it
0: yeah, I think it might be Keira Knightley that lets the film down. Uh, yeah, yeah. I Ke- mean-
1: Keira Knightley's interesting. She's just uh, she's a very pretty face, and she's proven she can act a lot. But you got to cast her right, you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think she was trying to be all edgy, and she gets topless and things like that. I mean, maybe that's reason enough for people to watch it. Sure. Um, but uh, there's there's sort of this this interesting change because she's been playing all these kind of period pieces and stuff and then suddenly she's playing a bounty hunter i don't know i don't know that she nailed this part but anyway sure um the the film as well you've got mickey rourke pre-comeback which as we know the wrestler he was oscar nominated and kind of really got his career back after that yeah he, he was well cast in this movie yes I'm surprised this wasn't the film that gave him his comeback as well. Yeah,
1: but there were flaws with it, and I think you're absolutely right. One of the flaws may have been Keira Knightley herself.
0: May have been. This is one of those films, like, style-heavy, as I say. You've Mm. got blurring images, text flying across the screen, repetitive dialogue, which I think is what really killed this too, Yeah, was that there's too much repetition. You're not treating the audience like they're very intelligent. I guess the um, the problem with this film is, yeah, that... that it's sort of shaky and full on and that, you know, though the lighting is super realistic and gritty, feels like by the end of it you probably have sore eyes. Yeah. From just
1: it, it, the, it looks like a music video almost.
0: It does, yeah. And it's hilarious that they kidnapped the two guys from 90210, um, <laughs> Ian Zeering and Brian Austin Green. Yeah, that was probably the best thing about it. And you got a Jerry Springer cameo, Christopher Walken appears again, you know. And again, was this film set in Mexico or wasn't, was it? Uh, I think they have some scenes in Mexico. Sure, yeah. I don't think it was set there. I mean, she's kind of privileged and like a Los Angeles kind of um, what do you call it? Like an heiress almost. Oh, um, okay.
1: So then I'm wrong. I thought um, Mexico was a heavy theme. He kept going back to in his later films, but it was just Man
0: on Fire. I thought Domino was set in Mexico. I think True Romance touched on they wanted to escape to Mexico sure, as well. Yeah. There's, I mean, it's you know, it's just in the script though. It's not as if he's written the scripts. Sure anyway um pretty interesting like domino i think it's 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 gonna find its audience one day Mm. just not this this time and place i think yeah maybe just wasn't handled as well as it could have been
1: and the next film he did um he had a bit of a layoff with this one i think he was making numbers with his brother Mm -hmm. um tony scott but he did take the taking of pelham one two three um starring john travolta
0: um, I'm going to have to jump in there, Lloyd. Yep. I believe he did Deja Vu. Deja Vu. What's Deja Vu? Deja Vu is uh, another Denzel film, you'd be surprised, that features a, a much chubbier Val Kilmer. Um, <laughs> oh, was that the time one? The time travel one, yeah. Oh, but, this would have been right up your alley. It was, yeah. That, that no, was it's... a
1: Tony Scott film? Yes, it was. Oh, it was too, wasn't it? Oh my god. <laughs>
0: And you know what's what's the best thing about this film is that it's Jim Caviezel. Um, spoilers just ahead of time for a deja vu, and uh, Jim Caviezel plays the villain character who they're pursuing across time. Really, and he's like and a religious zealot, isn't he? Yeah, but the thing is, he'd recently done The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> oh, he did too. I remember thinking that as well. <laughs> and this was his this was his big relaunch, really. I mean, you sort of see him as Jesus from The Passion of the Christ, and then suddenly. He's playing this crazy nut who on, um, I think it's around Mardi Gras or something, does this huge terrorist act and destroys this boat at the beginning of the film. And then Denzel works with this secret division headed up by kind of uh, Val Kilmer and others. And they're basically, um, they can rewind kind of time. and kind of folds back onto itself and they can look back into what has happened. And they need his eyes, you know, to to see whatever's out of place and then eventually throughout the film course of the film they send him back and he has the ability to change things which is just crazy you know in a way that it doesn't sort of kill him and, and everything like that but um very interesting film did i did you really, like it i did really enjoy it at the time but yeah. i just don't think it's I, the kind of i didn't understand film the
1: science behind it how he was able to no. go back in time and he's in virtual reality then he's physically there i, I didn't yeah. quite understand any of that
0: it was a little bit like in um, The Dark Knight, right, how uh, towards the end Batman has the mobile phone device kind of thing yeah. where you can, you can see every kind of sound wave and whatever so you can hear everyone's conversations and it's very similar because they can kind of just use whatever satellite devices and stuff and they can bounce through walls and stuff. I mean, it was just very convenient the way that it was handled it seemed impossible impossibly impossible
1: yeah it's like they had this invincible tool the whole time and it's just like okay it was very well done like but i just struggled to understand the science behind it i'm like okay so he can travel back in time but he can't but he can see you know that sort of thing i was in in, yeah i'm just pretty done with those things
0: (laughs) (laughs) well it made a ton of money $75 75 million was the budget 180 plus was wow. uh, the return again produced by Jerry Bruckheimer the writers were the two guys behind uh, Pirates of the Caribbean sure and um you know just a really like solid little film i think yeah um really well done uh, well made as you say but um it was the science i think that that kills it yep. and the way he he falls in love with this girl only watching her kind of yeah. thing you know like and it's a little bit perverted. Yeah, bit. I was
1: about to say, wow, that's a bit
0: creepy. <laughs> yeah. And there's, like, scenes where she's changing or she's getting in the shower and stuff and they're still sort of watching and, you know, there's he feels <laughs> kind of bad about it. But it's a very, very strange way for him to fall in love with her. Sure. Yeah. But, um, again, as I said, I enjoyed it the first time I saw it and then I just don't think it it holds up well on repeat viewing. Sure. Sure. Now we're up to taking a Pelham 1, 2, 3.
1: Yeah, I did not like this movie. Um, I love the original with uh, Robert Shaw and everything. It had a great sense of humour and this one, um it's a remake, mind you, taken to Pelham one two three. Very similar story, a guy hijacks his money train. Um and I think it would have been a better movie had the bad guy just got away. It was just so by the numbers. He gets caught and everything. I just ugh it's just stupid.
0: <laughs> do you know what do you know what Roger Ebert said about this film? what did he say? He said, there's not much wrong with Tony Scott's The Taking of Palom123, except that there's not too much really right about it.
1: <laughs> just, it was just by the numbers.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the opening title sequence tells you the kind of film you're in for. You got that Jay-Z song playing. Yeah. And shots galore that just flying around, you know, this kind of frantic shooting style that Tony Scott has morphed into. He's evolved over these films. Yes, no, definitely. Enemy of the State was a big turning point, I think. yes. And then, like, but by the time we get to Domino, he's doing too much. There's yeah. far too much going on, too many everything. It's just so many layers. If you look at, like, a final cut, like, editing, um, how you get the sound and the vision layers, there would have been so many different effects and blurs and everything on writing, everything just flying on the top of each other. The problem I have with taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3, as we say, it's very solidly shot. The camera almost never stops moving. Mm-hmm. It's essentially a terrorist film. Yep. He doesn't say he's set a set in New
1: York, so I guess the bad guy can never get
0: away. Yeah, well, it seems like a really dumb plan. He traps himself in a tunnel, and he's got a bunch of hostages. It seems like how you get out of this tunnel, you <laughs> yeah. know, like seems yeah. I'm in this barrel. Don't shoot in this barrel, you know, kind of thing. And just I don't know. Immediately, I didn't relate to this at all. Did and, you um, like
1: um, uh, what's his name, John Travolta's performance in it? This is I when don't he know. shaved his head,
0: yeah? It, it feels like he's phoning it in. Sure. To me. Um, I didn't really love it.
1: Because oh, I like John Travolta. I'm not one of those guys that... Well, oh, John Travolta's in, I'm not going to watch it. I really like John Travolta. I think he's a cool actor. Um, you know, But this performance, I thought, was okay. But because the film was so standard, there wasn't for him, much for
0: him to work with. Mm. <laughs> Well, I think he was just kind of phoning... Just collecting a paycheck, isn't he? I <laughs> yeah. mean, he's never worked with Tony Scott before that I'm aware of. And sure. this is just... I, I like know. that
1: look he's got, though, in the film where he's shaved his head. I, I'm, if, if this is the film, like, he shaved his head and he's got the two earrings in, in his side. He, yeah. He has that... It's an interesting look. Um, definitely gone are the handsome days of Saturday <laughs> Night Fever, but, um, you know... <laughs>
0: But it's like, he's a white guy with a goatee and Denzel's a black guy with a goatee. It's kind of (laughs) like, they have very similar looks in a way. Sure. There's even scenes where they're both wearing sort of sunglasses and glasses, you know, it's, I don't know. The the original
1: Um, is a lot better because it has a sense of humour. It's very funny as well, so uh, that's what I liked about it. This one, uh, not so much.
0: Look, I mean, it's a lot like Phone Booth in the sense, which I like Phone Booth, by the way in the sense that it's kind of like all taking place across the phone Mm -hmm. and in like one location in a way um it's not nearly as tense as that sure um it's it's kind of also reminds me of john q you know the denzel washington movie john q he Uh, um he uh he's playing a father whose son is dying and um He needs a new heart, like a heart transplant, and uh, they can't get on the donor's list and they have to keep making payments and they're losing their home and everything. They're really poor. And he takes a gun and he basically um, locks off the emergency unit and uh, wants a heart for his son. And he's just sort of, he's got a real sort of good message, kind of, you know, he's a father trying to save his son. He exhausts every option and then kind of, you know, is the last thing he can do. And uh, it's a really interesting little film. James Spader's in it as the doctor. Oh, sorry. James Woods is in it as um, the doctor who cool, right. is going to perform the heart stuff. Um, just like it's the opposite here, though. Like he's playing the kind of negotiator rather than the person with the gun. Sure. Um, and I think he was much better in John Q and much more likable um, kind of guys. It seems very sort of dorky here. And I don't know. Um, didn't love it. How is it compared to the original?
1: Uh, the Taken Pelham 123? Yes. I, I guess it's just the humor. Um, uh, Robert Shaw was a very good bad guy. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Robert Shaw if I'm pronouncing the name correctly. But it, it was thrilling. Um, it's exact same thing. They hijack, you know, high money train uh, under New York. Yeah. Um, but it it was just funny I just remember laughing quite a bit in it and it was thrilling at the same time I know it's very hard to put humour in a film to that scale few directors can pull it off but yeah <laughs> um, was the Taken of Pelham 1, 2, 3 a big success?
0: Uh, not not so much not so much sure yeah <laughs> not so much Um, it's funny these train movies as I said they the trains are on or off the track you know yeah, like, how dangerous is that? You know, you know exactly where the train is going, sort I, of thing. I
1: keep thinking of Money Train for some reason. Every time I think of taking a Pelham one, two, three with Woody, Woody Harrelson, Wesley Snipes. Yeah, yeah, I just keep thinking of that in New York, and the, you know, this train. <laughs>
0: Well, let's move on to the final film Tony Scott ever directed, and that is Unstoppable with Denzel Washington and Chris Pine.
1: Yeah, and um, the really beautiful lady from Sin
0: City. Uh, she's a kind Mimi of- Rogers? No, hang on, I'm looking at the producers. <laughs> Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson, of course. Yeah, she's um, she's in it
1: as well. Uh, yeah, like I-, I watched this with my dad and my mum. We watched this all together. Um, and yeah, it was a lot typical Hollywood by the numbers movie like almost like it was like an uh, you know the script was written in the 80s
0: <laughs> you know, um, in a way it's a shame that it's his final film because it is as you say it's i went in with pretty low expectations and it was entertaining enough i watched it at the cinema and uh, much better on the big screen i'm sure sure um but like i say it's restricted to tracks how dangerous can trains be and a couple of trains come really really quickly and there's you know some some crashes and stuff but it's not the film that tony scott will be remembered for no
1: definitely not it was it was um i guess you could take your family it's a very safe film you could take your family to it you know the good guys are going to prevail the enemy in this film maybe is the corporate like for making bad decisions but it's really in uh how humans get together and or how the um you know crews get together or people get together to overcome some sort of um, disaster that's impending. Um, yeah, and that's all it is, but it's still very exciting and it's it's all about trains, you know. Um, Chasey gets a train as Dave says, but it's still exciting because it's done by Tony Scott. So I guess that's a big feat. <laughs> but
0: yeah. there's not much to say on this movie, is there? <laughs> it's kind of dumb. It's kind of a dumb uh, way they accidentally let the I train know. Go.
1: I was just like, are you serious? It could and happen.
0: He- like, a lot of big accidents happen to the most
1: ridiculous things. But, yeah, it was so dumb. It was just like, oh, just hurry up, run, and get into it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised that, like, Ethan Suplee, the guy from My Name is Earl, agreed to be in this because it sort of feels like it's damaging to his brand. But anyway... <laughs>
1: Well, um, w- looking back overall of Tony Scott's um, body of work, he's a huge um, uh, proponent from the '80s into the '90s and into the noughties. I hate saying noughties, mind you. Um, <laughs> I, I I have to always ha- I just have to see that every time I look at Tony Scott, surely it's in his head that how did he go with his relationship with his brother was it a very competitive relationship like they've always had the scott free productions so i'm assuming it was a healthy relationship throughout the whole thing but surely somewhere at the back of their minds they're comparing each other like does tony scott know he's not as good as his
0: brother or i don't know well i mean uh it's a, it would have been measured i, I would assume I'm hoping they had a great relationship and that they were good good brothers and friends and that they helped each other and all those sort of things. But I would have thought it would be measured in um, accolades. And whereas Tony Scott was never given any awards or anything like that, yes, um, was Ridley Scott?
1: Uh, Yes, Ridley Scott. I think he got something for Gladiator, definitely. Um, Blade Runner or something? Yeah, Blade Runner definitely for something for visual effects. I'll just pull it up. Jeez, I 1977,
0: he was given the Palme D'Or, Palme d'Or For The Jewelist? Um, yeah, yeah, at Cannes. Uh, that was his first so,
1: film. And then he did Alien, which is one of the most uh, influential science fiction um, films of all time, or one of the most influential horror films of all time. Um, and uh, Academy yeah.
0: Awards, he was nominated for Thelma and Louise, Gladiator and Black Hawk Down for Best Director. Wow. Golden Globes, similar. American Gangster, he was nominated for Best Director. I mean, he's yeah obviously been invited to all the levels. big shows it's an amazing
1: story these two brothers coming over the pond over to hollywood and just dominating the industry so much like they are the huge powerhouse in the american hollywood system and they were both so consistently as you said very good at producing hits like both of them are and they're you know colossal titans giants in the in the system um they should they can look back on their career and be very proud of what they did i think tony scott leaves us with a great body of work i'm really disappointed to hear people insult him like because they compare him to his brother or he's he's the one with no talent i'm like are you kidding me like ridley scott is great like no doubt he's one of the greatest british directors of all time but that doesn't mean tony scott is bad (laughs) like as dave said he made consistently big hits all throughout his career you know it's
0: just a different direction as i said at the beginning there was sci-fi for ridley scott and tony scott is an action director
1: yeah and but compare him to michael bay i I, i'd put tony scott well although i love the rock and that was directed by michael bay um i think tony scott's on a completely different level you know um and they're both you know as you say action directors but Tony Scott at least has character, has, you know, arcs and stories and structures, you know.
0: Well, uh, Tony Scott's going to live on through his work. Um, I think we've taken some time out and appreciated it. And uh, if you guys haven't seen any of those films, obviously we've got quite a few recommendations in there. And it'd be a a great thing if um, you could enjoy a few of those in your own time. And though he may be the most iconic from Top Gun... As I've said, Spy Game's my favourite. Lloyd's was uh, Enemy of the State. Yep. Um, also strong is Deja Vu, if you've never seen it before. And um, enjoyed Jim's, Jim Caviezel's performance in that, Robert De Niro's performance in The Fan. He was a director who could really get performances out of people.
1: Yep, definitely.
0: Uh, next time on the podcast, we'll be discussing the science fiction film Looper. So uh, get along to a cinema and check that one out. And... Um, yeah that's it for pardon me if you can for this week
1: thanks guys all the best